Thank you for tuning in at Ravenna Assembly of God. We hope you enjoy this message and are blessed from it. If you want to tune in to more messages, log on to RavennaAG.com and search under the media tab. Thank you and God bless. And do some what I call teaching or sharing. And using the scriptures as our guidance through this time. You'll see that in your, your hands you have a lot of scriptures from John. And we'll be covering the majority of that at this point leading to our time of communion together. But in John chapter 11, you're coming off the, res, the rising from death with Lazarus when Jesus raised him from the dead. It was an incredible time, an incredible moment. And, and, and I mean, when, when you take a, a, a look of that and, and what Jesus had to say, how they came to him and, and he just stayed there for a couple of days because it was only about a two-day journey from where he was at to Bethany to where he would be going with where Lazarus was at. <clears throat> and according to the timeline, by the time those guys got to where Jesus was, Lazarus was already dead. And Jesus knew that. And so to wait a couple days and then leave, travel those two days, Martha would have said, what? He's already been dead four days. So you do the math. It's very simple to come across that. But the, the power that must have resonated at that time. And you remember the words that Jesus would say? He, he, he gave that declaration of resurrection when he said, I am the resurrection. Me, I am. And, and that, that, just, that, that whole thing that transpires during those times that lead up to those words, Lazarus, come forth. Can you imagine the expression on people's face when that, that stone was rolled away and out comes this wrapped up mummy of a person who was Lazarus, who everybody attended the funeral of four days earlier. They knew he was dead. How he died, don't know. Don't know all the logistics around things, but we know he was dead. And, and Martha was right when she said, he probably stinks by now. And to hear those words, Lazarus, come forth. And the, the, I don't know whether the ground trembled or things shook a little bit, but I can guarantee you the gasp that was expressed when he comes walking out of that tomb and he says to them, loose him. <laughs> you know, kind of timid about doing something like that. You're going to like, <laughs> do I really want to see what's under that cloth? I, I can see the, the, the surprise, the, the bewilderment. Can, can you imagine the noise of people talking about this afterwards? And that's where we want to pick it up a little bit as, as we come here to this, this after fact. Take a look at, at 1148 there in, in your notes. It says, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. 
That's a, that's a very, very huge statement as we begin to walk through this. But, but, but I want you to, to understand some things as, as we talk about this. Because, uh, how do I put this? They were plotting because of what Jesus had done to do what? Kill him. This is really where it begins. It's really where it starts in, in this location, at this place, where they plot to kill Jesus. And that's around verse 53, just for your, your notes there. And, 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 you know, it's not unknown what they end up doing on top of that. And, and I don't happen to have 53 in there, do I? No, I didn't think so. What they end up doing is they put out this advertisement. Anybody sees Jesus, anybody sees him anywhere, report him to us. Let us know where he's at. So the advertisement is out there. They're, they're out to get him. They're out to deal with him. They want to kill Jesus. Now, at that time, he's going to stop his public ministry. And he's going to head north to Ephraim, just north of Jerusalem, just, just a, a little ways away. And, and there's a lot of people at this point in time making their way to Jerusalem. It's about a week before Passover. And so what they're doing is they're getting themselves purified before the Passover comes. And so you've got a lot of them shifting in, and Jerusalem's going to grow, man. It's going, to be a, it's going to become a big scene. This is a big day, and a lot of people have been planning, putting money away for it, wanting to be a part of it at that time. So, so the, the Pharisees have put the hit out. The people are talking, you think he's going to show up for Passover? You think he's going to be here? You think he's going to make himself known? So take a look at verse 1 here. Let's go through uh, the sixth verse, well, these verses here, in, in, and we'll just start with the first two. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Now, let me just put it this way. Bethany itself is just southeast of Jerusalem. It's only about two miles away very close in proximity. And, and as a result, it comes down off the slope of the Mount of Olives. If you come past the Mount of Olives, you're coming down into the territory of, of Bethany. And, and so that's the logistics of where they're at. Lazarus is with them. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. All right, let's get a little understanding here of what's going on. First of all, you're, you're talking about spikenard, which uh, the phrase that's used sur to surround this ointment means trustworthy. It means genuine, unadulterated. And this particular essence is from a, a, a plant called nard, and that nard had a spike or, or a head and it comes from the eastern Indian area. It's a plant that's very fragrant. And as a result, obviously, it's very costly. In essence, it takes about a year's wages to purchase 
what they, the Bible calls a pound. Their pound at that time was only 12 ounces. But so they, what they do here is, is again, she takes this, this spike and, and she anoints his feet. And then she wipes it down with her hair. Feet is, is, is anointed and then wiped. Why the feet? Well, I think one of the things with Mary especially is, is that the feet are, are, are very symbolic of the lowliest place. Remember back when we were in chapter 11 where Lazarus is raised, when Jesus first gets there, who's the first person to meet him there, which is Martha. And do you remember what Martha did? She'd come out and got in his face. If you had just been here, blah, 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 just right in his face. And, and when she gets done, she turns back, goes in, and, and Martha, I'm sorry, Mary, comes out. And where, where does Mary go? To his face? No, to his feet. And what's interesting is she says the very same thing her sister said. The exact same words. But her position was in a totally different place. Which means her heart was at a, in, the same, in a different place as, as well. And, and as a result, you know, I've often said the way to God's heart is through his feet. And that's when Jesus turns and says, where is he buried? And the rest is, is of course, there. But, but the reality here is, is, is that you have his heart. Now, what's, what's interesting is it's very unusual for a woman during those days to wear their hair down. It was considered, you know, immodest in that sense. <coughs> Excuse me. So they always wore it, you know, pinned up or however it was, tied up in, in that sense. So it was, again, considered immodest for the hair to be down. And she would take that hair and wipe his feet, which, uh, again, is, is an interesting scenario as the others are looking on. Now, you can almost read into that and see how some of these guys got a little upset at what she was doing, and they tag it on to the money, well, at least Judas will, and how that begins to work. But Jesus has something to say about it. As, as well, you, you, you have, for example, verse 4, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, would, who would betray him, said, why has, was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. Now that shows the true characteristics, and, and for him to say something like that is really kind of revealing his heart to begin with. You could be talking either greed, or you could actually be talking guilt. And you'll notice that when we get to the Lord's Supper, that when Judas dips the sop, and Jesus dips the, and gives it to Judas, how Judas takes off, they just thought he was going out to take care of business with the poor. They had no idea that Judas had actually betrayed or was about to betray. So 
Take, take, uh, and well, let's just continue on. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. Now, literally, that statement has kept this for this day of my burial. That, that phrase in there literally means perpetual or preparation for burial. Prep, say that with me. Preparation for burial. She's getting him the flowers before the funeral. That's what she's doing. She, at this particular point, is, is taking and preparing him. I mean, others worried about what they couldn't see. They were worried about what they, they actually saw as far as her conduct in her hair and in the wiping of that ointment, that spikenard, and the smell of it, and this, that, and everything else. And to them, I mean, their just mind goes in different ways. Jesus says, hey, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait a minute. She has kept this for the day of my burial. She has prepared. There's been a preparation for my burial. Now, take a look at verse 9, for it says, Now a great many of the Jews knew he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. I want you to get the picture here, because the crowd is growing. Not only have Jesus, you've got Lazarus. He's alive and in great health. They're saying, hey, we were at his funeral. We saw the man with a lack of breath. He was cold, he was hard, he was... And, and, and then there's Jesus, the, the one who, who raised... Can you imagine the excitement that had to be running through the air at that time? And people keep coming in and taking looks and peeking around and, 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 and so on and so on. I mean, he was... Four days this guy was dead. I mean, imagine the state of mind that's going on. But look at verse 10. The chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. How do you not get this? I mean, I mean, seriously. How does something like this not blow your mind to the reality of what's in front of you? I mean, seriously. How can you be so off that you see a man who had been dead for four days, raised from the dead, brought out from the tomb. He had already been starting to rot, for sure. So that body had been completely raised, made alive. How do you, how do you miss this and, and make no sense of it, but look at it as a threat to who you are, to your life, to your nation? How, how do you do that? Friend, let me tell you something. <clears throat> when you're off at the foundation, you're going to be off the rest of the way down the road. If one plus one equals three, then two plus one is going to equal four. And three plus one is going to equal five. When you get off in the beginning, you're going to be off all the way down the road. And, 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 and they believed in Jesus as a result. And the Sanhedrin is in crisis. They're blaming each other, talking to each other. There's a danger here 
of a, of a mass movement of, of the people to Jesus. And, and they're freaking out. They're going all over the, you, you know, it, it's, I can see that. It's my fault and I'm alive? Yeah. But here's the Sanhedrin and they're, they're in a mess. So the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of trees and they cried out to him, to meet, and, and they went out to meet him and cried out. Let me just stop right there. The next day, that's our, our Sunday. That's our Palm Sunday. That's today. And as a result, you, you, have, you have numbers that are coming out, numbers over and over. I want you to get this picture. Because what you got is these common folk that are coming from all over the place. They're gathering together. They're from outside of the territory. They're prepping to purify themselves for the holiday. It's a, it's a number of people that, that, that as they get ready for Passover, this, this whole episode of Lazarus rising from the dead is, is just beyond words. And, and when they heard, Jesus is coming, Jesus coming. I, I love it because it's a vivid picture. From that time before, what, I mean, the, what, what, they, what they heard, and I want you to grab this. What they heard was the fact that, I want to take something out here before I go any further because I'm going to want to show it to you. What they heard was Jesus who was coming, and as a result, as he's coming into Jerusalem, he's actually defying the Sanhedrin council with all their public advertisement for him. The people that, 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 that are, are, are just celebrating him instead of reporting him because they believed in him. Friend, I'm going to say something that's going to get me in trouble, and I don't mean to become too political at this particular time on this particular day, but I'm going to. And it's not because it's about a party, Democrat or Republican. I'm concerned about our society. And, and I'm going to just say it right here. I see Jesus defying the Sanhedrin council in all their advertisement. Doesn't matter what they said, he's coming in. And, and, and the thing that I have a problem with is I don't believe the church is in any position to suffer the persecution that's coming down the road. And I'm not looking for approval with what I'm saying. I'm not looking for somebody to agree with me. I'm just telling you from my heart that the church is going to suffer persecution. You mean the government's going to come down on it? No, the culture, society, the nation as a whole this last week, there was an article in the USA Today on Thursday, the 22nd. And it, 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 it captures the story of a... Well, let me just read it. It's what has been called a Cinderella story. Oral Roberts University has made the Sweet 16 in the NCAA March Madness. However, some in the crowd have been cheering for them to be banned rather than for them to win. In, most, in the most recent example of cancel, of cancel culture, the mob has been coming out after ORU, mocking their name, history, their beliefs as bigoted or homophobic. Some have even gone as far as to call for the NCAA to restrict 
such Neanderthals from playing, others saying they should, they should be uh, pariahs, not heroes. And, and another part where the dogma, and this is what the, the reporter is stating, the dogma teaches that tolerance must mean agreement, then branding all who disagree as intolerant and harmful. Not satisfied with res- that we respect opposing views on human sexuality, all must affirm homosexuality as acceptable within our own theology. There can be no longer any disagreement or compliance, only compliance. And, and I mean, it's a great article. You can look it up in, in the US, USA Today as far as on the 22nd. The reason I'm saying this is because he goes into a lot more as far as how this is all playing out and how we have to be uh, either accepting or we're in trouble. You know, it's the old adage of the way the enemy works. If you agree with me, I love you to death. If you disagree with me, you got to die. And that's exactly what we're seeing wrapped up in Christ. On this particular day especially, as he enters into that city, he's defying the advertisement of Sanhedrin Council. The crowd's enthralled. They're excited. They're moving forward. There are things happening. There is the Sanhedrin Council that's there as well in the crowd. But, but, but enough to... Let me say this, and, and that is that, that this, this picture, this, this, this how, do, how do I want to put it? When they heard that Jesus was coming, it just blew up. To take a look at verse 13, there it, it, it says that they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, I'll get there in a second. But they took it says they took. Everyone say the word took. Took. Okay, some of you don't say the word took. See if you say it now. Yeah, okay. See, here's the deal. The word took is a violent take. It's not just, I mean, they, they wrapped up to these, these branches, and they just didn't try to wiggle them. They ripped them off. It was a, it was a seizing, if you will. It was a, if you will, I want you to understand what was taking place here because it, it, was, it was really about a violent praise and worship. Let me tell you something. This country wouldn't know how to handle a church who is violently worshiping and violently praising their Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And that would, with what that would bring about and what that would, because when you're focused on the praise and the worship of who he is and what he's all about, you become a dangerous person. You, 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 there's, a, there's a violent praise and worship. And you know what it leads to? <laughs> what did it lead to with them? It might have looked like defeat, but I got news for you. It became victory. Say that with me. Victory. That's exactly what happens as a result of what this represents when they violently rip those branches off and they begin to throw them down and they begin to violently worship and praise as as it takes place that's representing victory. Defying the Sanhedrin 
with worship and praise. Not going to be held down by the bondage. Not going to be held down the way life was. No, there's going to be violent praise and violent worship that sets me free. Something that rises up within me that says, yes, this is truth. This is God. And more, the palms, it's interesting, uh, they grew on the Mount of Olives on, on the road from Bethany to Jerusalem. So if you take Bethany and you travel northwest there, because it's, yeah, there's palm trees all the way through. So there's a crowd in front, and there's a crowd in, in back, and they're violently cutting down these branches as, as, as he comes, and as the crowd is moving on and getting thicker and bolder and louder, and they begin to cry out, Hosanna, which means save now. That's what Hosanna means. They're crying out, they're worshiping, they're praising. Save now! Save now! And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a phrase that has been sang throughout the history of Israel. You can find it in several places, but one is in Psalm 118.25. And it was sung in the processional as a welcome to worshipers. So it's getting intense here. It's getting loud. It's, it's, it's getting... And, and, and what they're doing is they're, address, they're addressing the Messiah here. And, and, and it's plain by the addition of these last words here that it says, Behold, your king is coming. Oh, man, I just get pumped about this. As I, as I, as I look at this and what surrounds it and what's happening... The reality of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead as a result puts a death mark on. That's when they decide. That's when this all starts to take place is when, when Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead and the people are all, ooh, so forth and so on. They, they, and there's this plot now that they've decided he's got to die. And let's take Lazarus down with us. And, and so as, as you get into this and you take a look at this, it's... it's, it's <laughs> It's the people who have longed and looked for the Messiah of Jewish hope. And again, you see him. He's, he's riding in on, on, on this donkey. Now, remember, yeah, some places it says two donkeys. One place it says a donkey. Here it says that Jesus took or Jesus found. And, you know, all, you got, you got, look, he came in. You got two donkeys. He comes in on a colt. The other one, you know, they, they're throwing all their, their coats and garments on. He, he didn't ride two donkeys at once. You know, I was reading that this past week in an article that somebody had written that, that he had rode on two donkeys. That would have been really tricky. Probably talk like this. At, no, I won't get there. But, <laughs> but it was one donkey. And, and what I want you to see, it's, this is sort of like Christmas. You know, you got all those people in the manger there, the wise, wise men weren't anywhere around, not for another two years. We get a lot of, of folklore, I think, put into some things. But, but, but understand this, that, you know, those, those, those words that they, they cried out would be the basis of the charge that would come against him before Pilate, as they accused him before Pilate, 
they would turn those words on him. Uh, look at verse, verse four, uh, 14, 15, 14. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as is, is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, that basically, to find, simply means to obtain. So don't get too far out there on what you're reading and looking at. They obtained the, the, the colt for him. Uh, so with that, along the fact of Zechariah chapter 9 is where this quote comes out of. But I think what's interesting to note is what the symbolism of this is all about. Because when you came riding in on a horse, that symbolically represented war. When you come riding in on a donkey, donkey that symbolically represented peace. They're, they regarded him. Now, grant this, watch this. There's people all over the place crying out. They're violently praising and worshiping him. And what they've done is they've regarded him as he rides in on this colt as the prince of peace. He is the prince of peace. In this triumphal entry, the symbolism behind it represents him as the prince of peace. And then going right into verse, verse, uh, don't have it. <laughs> verse 16, the, the, the disciples didn't get it. Could you do me a favor? Could you just go ahead and throw that up on the screen? Oh, you did. You, oh, you did. You guys didn't get it, but the screen got it. It says his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now, I, mm, they didn't get it. They're caught up in what's going on instead. Boy, if that don't speak to us today, getting caught up in everything else that's going on, do we get the fact that God is still in control and he knows what he's doing? That he's working a plan that only he can work, and the way he works it is through his church? Yet we find ourselves in the same place the disciples are many times and not understanding because we're too busy taking a look at what's going on instead instead of looking at what he's doing. And, and, and look at verse 17 here. It says, Therefore people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. Now, you've got this crowd. And I just want to point out very quickly, and I'm, I'm, I'm stepping on palms here and not meaning to because I'm definitely not the prince. So this crowd that's here, please understand, is not the crowd that's going to show up at Pilate's place. I've heard it often said that the, how could they have turned that quick within a week's time? How could their hearts have been bent that fast that they would be worshiping and praising him one, at one moment and then the next time they're, they're crying out, crucify him? wasn't the same crowd. The crowd of Pilate's place was a hired crowd of thugs. The Sanhedrin council had hired them. They couldn't even get their story straight. No wonder it didn't make any sense to, to Pilate when they start calling for Barabbas instead of Jesus on the Passover. So you, you got this mess, but I want you to understand that the people 
who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, they bore witness. They bore witness. And, and, and as I, I look at this thing, in, in, in verse 19, it says this, The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. <laughs> look, the world has gone after him. What a statement. What, 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 what a statement. They had advertised for him. We're looking for him. If you see him, let us know. <laughs> Here he is. You know, it's, it's like, are you, are you kidding me? The Pharisees are standing off in the back and they're watching. They're looking at this excited crowd, this victorious crowd, this crowd who is violently worshiping and praising him. They're, they're, they're looking, and, and, and of course, when everything you've been doing fails, who do you blame? Each other. You know, it's just the things are falling apart. Who do you blame? You blame each other. And, 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 and they're saying that, that, you know, they've bungled the whole thing. They've met, the world is a bunch of fools. Look at them going after him. And again, they, they turned on themselves. <sighs> yeah. It's like saying they're going to praise him no matter what. They're going to worship him no matter what. It's not about whether God did something or didn't do anything. Something, They're going to worship him no matter what. Do you know what it is to break through in the worship and praise no matter what? When things are falling apart, when tragedy sits, when things cave in on you, when things go awry, do you know what it is to praise him no matter what? Do you know what it is when things are going great to praise him no matter what? To when things, you know, it, 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 friend, I'm, just, I'm saying here right now, there is a time when the rest of the world is, is, is just blaming each other. Because when a, when a church begins to worship and praise violently, there is a victory that's symbolic within that, that is oozed out in the, of their pores, that covers the entire atmosphere to a place that you can't, the world can't control them. Everything the church has... I said the church. The world, well, it's their church. The world has tried to impose on them, has been turned upside down because of violent praise and worship that represents and rests in something called victory. This world is in bad shape. And I believe the church is not seeing persecution like it's going to see persecution. You're going to see more and more in the name of diversity. And I got no problem with diversity. I, I have no problem with people and, and God's people, but I have a problem when we end up in saying either our way or the highway. You ain't seen nothing yet. And what scares me is that that mentality is here at this point. What are our grandchildren going to have to look at and face as they walk through this life should Jesus tarry. I pray that in the name of Jesus, we know that he is risen from the dead and we are violently worshiping and praising him like we have never done before.
Jesus will ride in. He'll ride into a gate. Matter of fact, why don't you show that map up there if you would. I don't know how well you can see it. But the arrow on the bottom represents the one gate that Jesus came in. And it was, it was known as the Shehanas or the Golden Gate. Above that, at the other side of, of the court of the temple there, you have the Sheep's Gate. I've, I've told this story over, I'll never tire of telling it. As Jesus is riding in to the Golden Gate on that side, the Passover sheep at the exact same time are being brought in to the sheep's gate. The very same time. The Passover lambs are coming in the one gate and the, the Passover lamb is coming in the other gate. That entire week, the priests are going to inspect those lambs from top to bottom. Any blemish, any defect, anything wrong with that lamb, it's rejected. It had to be perfect. That week, Jesus will go under the most scrutinous confinement as well as inspection that he's ever gone through. It's going to be his toughest week. He's going to be tested, questioned, tested, questioned every day, back and forth for that entire week to see if there's any imperfections, any blemishes, any deformities that would disqualify him from being the Passover lamb. That next week, as he's gone through those, those trials, as he's gone through the testing. On that morning, when Jesus is being crucified, the priests are preparing the lambs. And you're going to find, and all you've got to do is look through the history, friend, that at the time Jesus would cry out, It is finished. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. At the exact same time, the priest on the other side would be raising his knife to come down on the first Passover sheep. The other Passover sheep would be sacrificed that day, but there was only one, only one, only one true Passover sheep that was sacrificed. And his name is Jesus. Don't discount the passion of Christ. His heart. For he would come from that crowd of violent worshipers and, pra and praisers. <coughs> And, and Mark tells us the story, I think, best. He would walk into the temple that night. And he would look around at all that was taking place, the corruptness that was in the church, the money changers, because you had only a certain way of paying your, your tithes and what have you in the church, and you had this money, so they 
from, from, from Roman, and so you would take the Roman money and exchange it for the, the, the church money, or, and, and as a result, they would charge you more. So you're paying through the nose to get the exchange in order to take care of what you were supposed to take care of. That along with all the other wares and items that they were selling in the temple, Jesus will walk out and come back the next day. It's where he got the story of the fig tree taking place. And he'll have made for himself what we know as the cat and hind tails, and he will go in there vehemently angry, it's okay to get angry, friend, as long as you're not focusing your anger on a person, but on the problem, on the situation. That's why it means be angry and sin not. He walks in there that next day and he starts turning the tables, scattering the monies. The people go running. He's cracking that whip. I mean, he's doing all of it together. But then he makes that announcement. And I can just hear him. I can just hear him as he's pounding. <laughs> My house shall be called a house of praise. No. My house shall be called a house of what? No. My house shall be called a house of preaching. My house shall be called a house of what? Prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. Understand, it's not the people they're robbing, it's God that they're robbing. There is such a, a reality to those words. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Communion with God. Dialogue with God. We, 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 God help us. We don't pray, let alone violently praise and worship. God's calling to his people once again. He, he's coming again. He's coming soon. Just like you can tell, spring's coming you can tell Jesus is coming. I don't see any palms violently ripped. I don't see where they're shouting, Hosanna, save us. Welcoming in the worshiper designed at the Messiah who is the King. I'm just saying from my own heart, there's a repentance that surrounds this time, a reality that speaks to me because I'm, I'm looking at the reality that Jesus is coming and they ain't a whole lot excited about it. They're just relieved because of it. Friend, he's coming again. He's at, 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 at a twinkle of an eye at the, at, at the last trump. He's coming. 